Hello, welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on how to take really good care of yourself and others. I'm Mariette Sneeman and today we're talking about the influence of the force of gravity on child development. My guest is Dr. Melody de Jager, developmental specialist from Johannesburg. Hi Melody. Hi Mariette. I'm so pleased you're here, especially since this is the very first episode of Calm, Clear and Helpful. How lucky am I? <laughs> Melody, just to prepare our listeners, at the end of our conversation, you're going to give us your three best tips on enjoying life, which I know you do, and then it will be fun question time. Fantastic. So, uh, what exactly does a developmental specialist do? Developmental specialist is um, a self-coined phrase. You know, life is marvelous these days. You do exactly what you want. <laughs> And But it was the best description I could get for the work that I do. So development in terms of all ages, in babies, obviously, and that's where the tip of my heart lies, because when we develop a baby, you set a person up to succeed in life. Um, obviously, we also work with babies who didn't have the easiest ride into life or during pregnancy or the first thousand days. And it's important that we address things as early as possible. And developing further, developing skills in preschool children, because that's incredibly important. In school-going children, the ability to learn academically, which actually, if we boil it down to, it comes to being able to read with comprehension, because the moment you can read and think, read with comprehension and think, you can actually learn. Yeah. Some people wonder why children should stay in school beyond grade four, because if you've mastered reading with comprehension by then, what on earth are you doing <laughs> in school if you've got thumbs and you've got um, information at your fingertips? Yeah. And then development of adults in the workplace, because we don't always land the job that, we, that suits us best. So then we work with adults to... Um, using the principles of neuroplasticity to enable them to adjust mentally, brain-wise, to the, the task at hand. Okay, so if you can change job, that's ideal. Mm. So you, f you find the job that fits you and your brain exactly. And otherwise, we use movement as medicine to, to enable a person to change. So that's where that development comes from. And then, when in the older, older years the senior years, the later years, for people to maintain a quality of life. So development of patterns or maintenance of, of thought patterns and patterns of movement that enables a person to, to enjoy a really quality life irrespective of age. Mm. That's quite a mouthful. <laughs> and I think you've been at it for about 38 years, is 38 it? 38 years, yes. Yeah. From the cradle to the grave. So you are the co-author of a book that I'm very, very um, excited about. It's a book on gravity, and it appeared towards the end of 2020. Uh, first, tell us with whom you co-authored this book. Marit, you'll need to indicate how long or how short my answer should be, because... This one I'm, should be short, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a storyteller. Okay, so it's co-authored by two Russian scientists. The one is a neurologist, Oleg Efimov. 
and um, Victoria Efimova, which is a speech therapist. So I co-authored with him. But you can't tell us, uh, in a <laughs> nutshell, how difficult it was to co-author with someone in Russia. Oh, it was an adventure of note, because Vic, um, Oleg doesn't speak English. I have no ear for Russian. I barely say no in Russian. It's very interesting. That's my first Russian word is no, <laughs> not yes. Which That's is quite normal. telling. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> um, and um, so Victoria would listen to Oleg. She would translate to me in English. I would respond. She would trans in English. She would res um, re um, translate for Oleg. And when we started writing, she would listen. She would write in Russian and then translate to whomever she needed to translate. It was an amazing adventure, something that I never even dreamed of. Mm. So that's what makes it even more special. Yeah, and I must say, having read the book, it's so reader-friendly. So it's astounding to think <laughs> that it has gone through that whole process. Well, Mariette, I won't confess how many times it has been edited. Mm. I think we've had three or four editors who edited each sure. other's work because the Russian way of communicating is very often in the passive form. Mm. Um, so our whole sen sentence construction didn't gel either. So it, <laughs> was, no, it was, it was marvelous. Mm. It was marvelous. Mm. Well, fortunately the energies gelled. That's <laughs> obvious. Yeah. And our passion, our yeah. passion for children. Yes. Mm. Uh, Melody, why this interest in a force we take for granted? I mean, I was so surprised when I saw the title because I never give any thought to gravity. Well, hardly anybody does unless you're a physicist or somebody who really has to pay attention to that. And you see, Marie, that's actually the problem because it is so part of what we do. We have, we have no concept of an environment without gravity, unless we read a bit and learn a bit from from astronauts or aeronauts or cosmonauts or whoever you want to call them. Because gravity is such an inherent part of life. I mean, most life fights gravity all the time. So the fancy word for this is um, we're in constant exhilaration, constant exhilaration, meaning we are adapting to gravity every second of every day, being awake or asleep. So that's why some um, animals have an exoskeleton. So it's to enable that uh, um, animal to resist gravity. Our own circulatory system makes use of gravity. Look, I can go on mm. for a long, long time, but... My interest was actually perked by the Russians. So my interest was in the vestibular system um, because so many children, and not just children, adults as well, but let's just focus on children for the moment. Many, many children with learning problems have a problem with the vestibular system. So my focus was on that and I wrote an article which Oleg found on the internet and that's actually how we connected. I see. And when we started looking at the vestibular system, and because they come from, the Russians come from such a rich culture in terms of space travel, mm -hmm. they had other knowledge, which then said, but the problem with, with the vestibular system is actually a problem with gravity. So just on a very light note, um, a friend of mine, um, I had tea there the other day, and her husband's a lawyer. And um, but they know me as somebody that works with young children, and um, the the 
wife told him that I wrote a book, co-authored the book on gravity. And he said, why do you know about gravity? (laughs) (laughs) So that's a very good question. But I think at this stage, I can say a little bit more than the average person, because we studied it. We had to. Mm -hmm. And the only way you can study gravity is in the absence thereof. In other words, that's space travel. So what are the experiences like of of space travelers and why I call them space travelers because it depends on the country of origin whether you call them an astronaut a cosmonaut or an aeronaut no, I never knew that no did I and there's one for for the Chinese as well but I forgot that one now but um, it's fascinating every country calls those space travelers something else so I'll call them space travelers mm-hmm. Yeah, another most interesting question is what do space travelers have in common with children with learning problems or actually vice versa? Marit, it again, I, you have to give credit for learning over time. And in 2002, I read a book by Sally Goddard in terms of um, the primitive reflexes and the relationship between primitive reflexes and children with learning problems. And she just, you know, sometimes there's just one line and that one line just, well, my brain goes beep and then I need to pay attention to something. Mm. And I read where she said, and she talked about aeronauts, aeronauts often become dyslexic when they're in space. And I thought, what a bizarre comment, because it said they became dyslexic, meaning they're not. And if we know anything about the selection process for anybody to be a space traveler, they're highly intelligent. They're very psychologically very stable. They're physically incredibly fit. So they're very special people. Um, But why would they become dyslexic? So it says something about my speed of learning, because I read that in 20, uh, 2002, and it took me many years to figure out, but she then continued to talk about the vestibular system, so that's where I got the link towards mm. the vestibular system. Mm-hmm. But I n- never understood, actually, what happened exactly, other than that I knew that space travelers float, everything else floats, because there's not this marvelous first relationship that we have when when we conceived is not with our mother, it's with gravity. It's the first relationship. It's one you have no choice about. It's a given. Because from the moment in utero, the brain starts responding to the pull of gravity, which towards the end of um, pregnancy culminates in the baby turning head down in response to the pull of gravity to pull the baby towards the earth. And that's why birth practices where the woman is in a more upright position Mm. is scientifically so sound, never mind that it is really humane, because then the force of gravity assists the birth of the baby. So um, I'm very good at deviating from a question. So if you need to bring me back to the question at any stage, please do. So the question was, what do children with learning problems and space travelers have in common? Well, they both experience themselves as if they're floating all the time. And what is now fascinating is that the brain um, senses develop in a very predetermined sequence. So your sense of touch develops before your sense of anticipation of movement, smell, taste, hearing and sight are the two last of our senses to develop. And this is important because your brain, you, 
always believe what you feel before you believe what you see. Oh. It's because your, your feeling, and I'm not here referring to emotion, I'm mm. feeling, to, um, talking to your sense of, of feeling, tactile. touch, tactile, but also proprioception, which is the sense, an internal sense that tells you where your body parts are, tells your brain, what have I got? And where they are now in relationship to each other, imagine somebody throws a ball towards you. Your brain needs to know where your hands are to be able to catch that ball. So, so when I say that sense of feeling, that's what I'm referring to. It's an internal awareness of your own body, but it's also a sensitivity to the in, in environment. And when you feel as if you are floating, even though your eyes can see your feet are flat on the ground. Your brain will always believe what you feel. Oh, we can go very philosophical about this. Before the brain will believe what you see. And I'm quickly going to jump, if that's okay, and talk about anorexia. Because there's a link here as well. My goodness. Because when a person suffers from anorexia, what they often do, if they look in the mirror, again, it's visual, they see a thin person, mm. but their brain overrides it because they feel like a fat person. So it's a neurological it's thing. It's a neurological it's thing. It's not a psychological no. thing. No. You see, we read it as psychological, and it has ramifications on a psychological mm. level, but the hiccup actually occurs on a physical level. And just to, to complete the loop in terms of anorexia, the one thing a person with anorexia does not want it's to be touched or to touch themselves because they really despise their own body. So that, And what is it that they really need for the brain to update and say, no, you are not fat. You're really thin. You know, to, to make this a little bit lighter, if you look at a, a pregnant woman, how her whole posture and her movement changes yes. um, during pregnancy. I mean, we often say they waggle as a I mean, they, they waddle. Because it's very difficult for the brain to adjust to the extra weight and the peculiar distribution of weight towards the front that it throws out one's experience, the brain's experience of the mm. body, mm. and then the body response in a very awkward way. So in conclusion, <laughs> the, the link between um, a space traveler and a child with a um, learning problem, very often, not always, but is that they experience themselves as though they are floating. And because they are floating, they lose things. Because if you're floating, everything else is floating yeah, as well. Yeah. So it's very easy to get lost. It's very easy to lose your belongings. It's very difficult to organize your environment. It's close to impossible to write or read. Because not only do you float and everything in your environment, there's no stability. Um, letters on the page mm. or on the screen floats as well. It took me many, many years to, to learn to ask the right questions. And one of them, when I work with children, I tell them, tell me what the words look like on a page. And they look at you like, what are you talking about? And I say, do they stand still and, or do they move? And if they move, in which way? And it is phenomenal how they tell you they move up and down. They just rotate in space. So to them, and that's why they battle with reading and writing and with reversals, and then present as though they're dyslexic, where um, Oleg, Victoria, and myself make a very strong 
statement or a very strong point that dyslexia or somebody that's diagnosed and labeled as dyslexic, which is a lifelong label, may not actually be dyslexic. It may just be that they've got a faulty process mm. that's battling to process information from gravity, which is processed in the vestibular system, which enables a child to know where the head is in relationship to the feet. Because if you don't know where your head is in relationship to your feet, it's, it's like a GPS without a current location. So if you don't have a current location, what does the GPS say? Mm. Recalculating, mm. recalculating. But you can't get to destination. You can't plan. You can't organize. You can't reach any goal because you're constantly looking for yourself. So many children, like space travelers, unless they have some kind of ritual and in the spacecraft, they have the most amazing things that they do to enable the space travelers to stay sane because their bodies age tremendously. Really? Tremendously. Some of the, the Russian scientists, and unfortunately I can't quote their names, I still find it very difficult to remember the names of all the researchers, but it's obviously in the book, um, where they thought if you, if, and that's why this, they were so set on um, um, space travel, because they thought if you can leave um, gravity, if you mm. can get outside the field of gravity, it would be marvelous to build hospitals because they assumed, this one specific um, scientist, that the recuperation rate in space would be much faster, only to find that it's, it's the, the exact opposite. Mm. Marit, it is fascinating. Now, I have not double-checked this, which I have a tendency of, of doing, but Victoria Nolek told me that you must watch very carefully when space travelers return to Earth. They hardly ever show them for long, and they're always surrounded by lots of people. You mean like on TV? Yes, on screen. Um, because somebody's propping them up. Because oh, really? the moment they return to gravity, they have lost a lot of muscle tone in the process because muscle tone is an opposing force to gravity. In other words, your muscle tone is only as strong as your ability to move against gravity. And because they're in a gravity-free environment for such a long time, when they return to Earth, they've lost some of the muscle tone and find it very difficult mm. to stand up. Mm. And just the last link to children with learning problems, very often, because they don't feel comfortable moving, they don't develop very good muscle tone. And for that reason, it's easy to spot them in a classroom because they're constantly slouching or propping themselves up with a desk, a wall, a desk, a wall, a door, or something like that. Or when they sit, they prop their head up, when mm. they read or write mm. with their hand, or they even lie down. So that's a dead giveaway mm. that this book may be of value mm. To, mm. to understand what is happening there. Because it's not attitude. It's not a poor attitude. They're not lazy and they're not naughty. I don't think most children are not lazy or naughty. They're doing the best that they can with what they've got available. Yeah, and, and this mouthful that you've just told us, um, I remember there's a very simple example that maybe you can just give to us of uh, where you explained how a child, 
has to has to find the correct posture and have muscle the correct muscle tone etc before he can read or write can you just unpack that for us okay um thank you it's a marvelous question so the first step is the development of the baby's milestones is actually the story of the human fighting gravity because a baby is born floppy and within 12 months so slightly longer for some and that's normal if it's slightly longer um, it takes for a baby to fight the pull of gravity and to be upright. So let's talk about school children and let's talk about academic learning, which is typically about reading and writing. So if a child doesn't have an upright posture, that means imagine the spine is like an elevator shaft. So your, your cleverness sits in the top part of your brain, which is at the very top part of the spine. Okay, so when a person slouches, it is as though the elevator can't reach the top story. So a child, a baby, a child, an adult, and we can talk about lockdown and the influence of lockdown on us on an emotional and a cognitive level as well, because it's relevant here. But what happens when a baby is moving, not with equipment or support, they are when they're playing, that's why play, fun, games, so incredibly important because they learn to use their body. They learn to conquer their body and actually they learn to conquer gravity and their body. And it's only once they've conquered, how do you conquer gravity? You develop muscle tone. How do you conquer your body? Well, your brain learns what have you got, where are they, how many of each do you have, and then how to, how to coordinate this whole mm. lot. And if that's not in place, the brain, oh, the brain is marvelous, but it always pays attention to your physical needs first. And your first physical need is to have a healthy relationship with, with gravity. Because if you don't, your brain is constantly looking for current location, current location, current location, and it can't pay attention to all the other things that's going on. So it's very difficult to um, follow instructions. It's very difficult. How, how do you follow instruction if your, your brain is recalculating, recalculating, recalculating? You understand? So it's important that children move and not move in a very specific way initially, free movement. Climbing, jumping, pushing, pulling, working at home, carrying the washing basket, pushing it or pulling it, hanging washing on the line, stretching. All of those natural things are important, especially if you make it a game. Because that's how the body conquers um, gravity and that's how muscle tone develops. And then you can't do that without moving, walking. Because what the Russians again found is under the soles of the feet, they are not only the pressure points that we've known for a long, long time, they are gravity receptors, which means when you walk bare feet, your, your feet, and that's why it's so marvelous to walk on a beach or in nature without shoes, because that's nature calling and say, plug in to gravity. Mm. Because as you walk, and as children walk without shoes, the, the muscles in the feet develop properly, obviously, which creates balance and stability for the rest of their body. But it activates the, 
the, um, the receptors, the gravity receptors in the soles of the feet that tells the vestibular system, where's my feet right now? Where are my feet right now? And the moment your vestibular system knows where your feet are and they'll know in which direction they're pointing, you can navigate. Now you can navigate. Now you can, you can follow instruction. Now you can speak. Many people battle with speech because your vestibular system is involved with speech as well. So posture, muscle tone um, are incredibly important before a child can excel academically. Mm. Yeah, so before we get to the, the specific intervention that, that you um, talk about in the book, I just want to note I have a list here of things which refer to to the prop to which are problems of the vestibular system, which are related. Uh, that you write on the back of the book, um, they are delayed milestones, low muscle tone that you've just mentioned, poor sensory integration, difficulties establishing laterality and hand dominance, ADHD, dyslexia that you mentioned, autism anxiety disorders, which I find very interesting, speech and language delays, fear of the dark, and motion sickness. In other words, what you say in the, word, in the book is that a child's relationship with the force of gravity influences his physical, emotional, social, and intellectual development. And before we come to the, the cure, in quotation marks, can you just talk a little about the relationship between gravity and ADHD. It's, it's easy and just, just the context for the comment about autism. Okay, there are many causes for autism. But what is very interesting, and autism is prevalent in, in Russia. So Oleg's clin clinic with 120 strong um, doctors, they, they view autism as an extreme form of ADHD. So it, it sits on the same spectrum, okay? It's just a fascinating comment. Is it true? I don't know. They're absolutely convinced of that based on serious um, research and empirical research. So what was the question again? <laughs> um, just a, li a little about ADHD because so many people talk and write about it. That's why I'm asking. This, the thing with ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactive disorder, it's very simple. If you, if you lack a relationship or a healthy relationship with gravity, remember you lack current location. And then you are constantly recalculating. So while you're recalculating, are you paying attention to what the teacher or your parents are saying? No. Because you are recalculating. Mm. You are still looking for you before you can focus externally. And how do you look for yourself? Well, nature is amazing. It prompts you to move because movement makes the vestibular system efficient. And once the vestibular system is efficient, it controls movement. And then you can sit still and straight and pay attention and concentration becomes so much easier. So... Nature prompts a child to move, constantly moving, because the vestibular system has, has many parts. There are 10 parts to it in total. It's actually more. But because there's some central part in the, in the brainstem area, in the neck area, and the other parts, the peripheral parts, are in your ears. 
Okay, so it works like a spirit level to keep you straight. And there are three spirit levels because they're three semicircular canals. And when your posture is upright, if you think of a spirit level, there's always a bubble in the middle. Okay, but when you sit still and straight, the bubbles are in the middle of all three spirit levels. The, the spirit level between backwards and forwards movement, left and right and up and down. But when a child battles with ADHD and they're looking for current location, they are moving constantly, trying to get, because they know instinctively, if they hit all the, if they get all the bubbles in the middle, in all three of the tubes or the um, paired directions, then they'll be able to feel calm because ADHD and anxiety goes together very, very often and that's why children are very often on medication for ADHD and for anxiety because anxiety is a natural consequence if you don't know where you are and you can't find your current location. Yes, that must be perfectly awful. Absolutely, absolutely. So anti-anxiety medication is reducing the level of anxiety but it is not enabling the child to find their current location. I see. And, and so you see it as a developmental problem. It is a developmental. Yeah. I can categorically state that it is a developmental problem. Please note that I'm not saying um, a faulty relationship with gravity is the sole reason mm -hmm. for ADHD. It can be diet related. It's not my field of expertise. It can be parenting because some parents are terrified to say no to their children. So their children have never learned boundaries. They've never learned the word nyet, which is no. <laughs> <laughs> because we, we're terrified we'll hurt or stunt mm. the emotional growth. No! Children feel safe when there are boundaries and when there are secure boundaries. But there's movability, there's room to move within those those um, boundaries. So there are many reasons why a child can present with ADHD. Many. Right. But one of them, and definitely a very serious player as a contributor, is an in unhealthy relationship with gravity. Right. So all these um, things we talked about, including ADHD, that, that children and then their parents, of course, struggle with. If parents read the book and it makes sense to them that maybe... A problem that a child of them has has to do with the vestibular system. What is the next step for these parents? Well, they must just keep on reading because the second, <laughs> <laughs> the second part, the two solutions, the second part of the book is about games. You know, Blindman's Buff, Ring a Rosie, all these ancient games that we researched and found that it's universal. Many people say, well, are you only writing about English games? You're completely and utterly mistaken. Those are children's games that you find in all cultures. They they're called diff different names. But all cultures, um, children of all cultures play the same games. Because innately, a child is clever. A child knows. The child still listens to their instinct. Mm. And their instinct prompts them to move in different ways and they create games to enable them to move in different um, ways and then um, um, repeat it very often because the brain loves repetition as a way of myelinating pathways or 
developing pathways in the brain. So the first bit is read on, because the second part of the book is all about different games and how simple, simple games can be used to develop children. I am so tired of the tiredness of parents and children with learning problems. They are tired because they're therapied to death. And there's always somebody else telling me what to do. So our approach is let's use games. Let's use fun movement to get serious developmental gains. But it has to be fun because then they want to repeat it and it's the repetition that we're looking for. And then there's another option at the Mangus Institute. We work, we've got a... Um, Loads of, of colleagues all over our country who support parents and do a lot of training in schools as well um, because this is new information. It's ancient, but it's new in a way. So there are solutions. You can either do it yourself through following the guidelines, but it has to be a sequential development. So the book was written, the second part, in a very sequential way. So you can progressively develop your own child which is obviously the best. It doesn't cost you much, the cost of the book, and then there you go. And otherwise, to visit one of the Mind Moves instructors if it's a school-going child. I think you must just quickly say something about Mind Moves because someone who hear, who's hearing that term for the first time... Oh, Mind Moves is one of my... Like I coined my own title. I, I mimicked natural movement in children and coined... Um, and published it and coined it Mind Moves. So it's literally, I research the developed movements that babies do, make in the first thousand days, because that's when the brain grows and develops the most in our lifetime. So obviously something, something good is happening there. So I literally researched it, copied it, um, and published them as Mind Moves, which mimics the infant movements. To, if it develops the brain, it will also repair the brain. We sometimes say it means the mind. So we use physical movement, but not any movement, specific movements, um, as movement medicine, and mm. we call that mind moves. Mm, mm. I must say I have my own mind moves that I do every day, but that's a topic for another day. <laughs> Good for you, Mariette. Yeah. Um, and then this specific website is where you can get... The mind, where you can learn about the mind moves, I'm going to mention that first, is www.mindmoves.co.za. And then if you are interested in this book, Gravity, A Missing Link in Child Development, which I think says a lot, with a beautiful cover, you'll see children playing on the cover. Uh, if you want to buy the book or any of other of uh, Melody's books, you just can just Google Melody the Jager books. I tested that and I see that works. Now, Melody, please, your three best tips for living joyfully. Well, don't take yourself too seriously. I think that is so incredibly important. Um, just laugh at yourself because if you can laugh at yourself you can laugh at lots of other things and I'm reading Norman Cousins book on um, the anatomy of illness at the moment and how he laughed himself to health so don't take yourself too seriously mm. um, 
get that spine straight and get your feet in nature. Because when you walk, your relationship with gravity improves. And with that, your relationship with yourself. And once that's intact, it's so much easier to improve your relationship with others. And the third one is love with all your heart. And it doesn't have to be a person. It can be a cause. It can be an animal. It can be an object. But please just love with all your heart. And then my fun question for you is, uh, if the force of gravity were a woman, <laughs> what do you think would she look like and what would she smell like? Oh, my hat, Marit. I have never thought of this. Well, we do talk about Mother Earth, so the chances are great that gravity is a woman. Oh, she would definitely wear red, and she would definitely be ex exquisitely strong, but very feminine. And you know why? I think people would want to be with her, not because she's pulling them, but because they're approaching her. <laughs> And she would smell different to different people. This morning, to me, she would smell like the, the, this, what you would smell just after it rained and the smell of fresh earth just after it rained. She would smell like that to me this morning. But it depends. It may be late at night. She may smell like very seductive perfume. Who knows? Mm. If she's a woman, she'll have many facets. <laughs> Mariette, and you, can I ask you a question? Yes. Go ahead. Mariette, um, oh, where do you wish your podcasts would fly to? Oh, right around the world. Oh, man, that was not a fun question. That was too simple. <laughs> <laughs> can I ask another one? You can. Why? Oh, that's a difficult one. Yeah, I must say, I don't have as much of a missionary endeavor as that I just like learning what I'm told. And then when I hear interesting things like this book that I've thought about so much, this and The Force of Gravity, I, it just fascinates me so much, I think that other people might also find it fascinating. Uh, fascination is contagious, eh? Hey? Yes. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Thanks, Melody, for your time. And to our listeners... Thanks for listening, and if you found this helpful, please share this episode with someone you care about. It would mean a lot to me if you would rate and review Calm, Clear and Helpful where you download your podcasts. Please subscribe to this series if you don't want to miss the bonus episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, Mariette Sneeman, and the music is by Matt-Marie Sneeman. Yes, we are related. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.